The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota.
teacher on the West Coast has a, an article called Nirvana as an Action. So Nirvana, Nirvana, cessation of suffering, the Buddhist goal, enlightenment, you know, different words with different connotations, but but literally the word means cessation. And uh, but yet, you know, as traditions evolve over centuries, you know, become institutionalized and certain concepts are um, reified Nirvana, Nirvana, we, you know, any concept we can take as a concept and have it as a goal and think, if I practice really hard, someday maybe this Nirvana thing will happen and that will be awesome because I won't suffer anymore and wow, I hope that happens. And maybe this will, maybe this meditation thing will you know, somehow lead there. But that's not so different than hoping for anything. I mean, in terms of how the mind is relating to that, um, and you know, the mind is relating with greed, even to nibbana, in this moment, which is all we have, greed is being set in motion, not release. So I found this article really useful, nibbana as an action. Um, different metaphors, but one is... Um, Grasping, so like a fist grasping, and release, the action of release feels good. You know, if we're grasping really hard to something, release feels good. But you can't then grasp that release, or otherwise you're grasping again. So it's the release, it's the actual action of releasing that feels good. It's that release of the heart. Anytime when the heart is grasping anything, caught up in any way, self-centered way, and that releases. There's that freedom from that grasping. And that's Nibbana as an action. And what's so interesting about that is it's, yeah, it's, it's an action. It's always something, it's never something we can grasp because that's grasping. So any concept isn't it. It's actually an action. Another way that's sort of been making sense for me recently is flow. In the recent community practice intensive, we read, uh, we talked a lot about the law. For those of you who are here, so there's this, this metaphor of a law floating downstream and not getting caught on either side. So that flow. I had a recent experience, but actually before I even heard that particular um, uh, metaphor, where that just was very apparent. Um, yeah, I, that is, you know, things are flow. There isn't, nothing lasts very long. There's just this flow. And yet, a lot of the time, we feel solid and stuck. <clears throat> this is me, and I have a problem. That's really, you know, that feels solid and real. This is me, and I have a problem. But there's a sense there that that, that things aren't changing. But 
sort of release that grasp on whatever it is that we're grasping, you know. Usually there's something when there's something. Pretty good investigation. Is there any grasping there? Is the mind taking something impermanent and then feeling justified and getting tight around it? This is feeling like this forever. I'm this way. And then it's no longer flow. But I think what I like about the flow image or idea is that like happiness is in the flow, not in you know, what scenery is passing by on the shore or like getting my treasure and hoarding it away. It's actually like just the joy. You can kind of intuit this, you know, the word flow is I think athletes use it and different people use it to describe you know, that sense of the joy of full participation without constriction or without um, friction. So, so it's a different orientation around happiness because flow isn't something we get and, and we got it. It's actually something that we only experience when we let go, right? Flow is, it's an action. And it's actually a, it's a, it's a way of perceiving. It's the it's wisdom in the mind, perceiving things as they are, as changing. And not getting seduced by all, like all day long there's all these fish hooks. So many things that come that push our buttons, that we can grasp. And there's this other option that's subtle. Because it's not about getting rid of the hooks or grasping the hook, but about seeing all the hooks. Just seeing them. So, so it's a very different, yeah, it's a very different <clears throat> orientation towards happiness and towards life. Life is here to make me happy. Getting this, getting rid of that. And, you know, these different images, flow, or letting go, or even, I think, um, another sort of way I, my mind can understand this is like, uh, because when I'm honest, it does seem to actually be true. It's not like I'm just believing this, but I'm actually investigating, like, Anything I can imagine that will make me happy, or even things I've actually experienced in my life that I wanted or didn't want, wanted to get rid of. There's something about it. This is, you know, the Buddhist word dukkha, unsatisfactoriness. Like it doesn't actually do the trick. It doesn't actually satiate what seems to want to be satiated by. Right? Yeah, anything I can imagine, getting. Yeah, there's some part of the mind that isn't that isn't really convinced. So other, you know, then you know the mind wanting to still have something, you know, something to, to think about to replace that. Well, happiness isn't about you know, getting something or getting rid of something. 
What about giving giving my life away? And that also has I mean even that could also be a concept like me as a good person, me as a generous person. But even that I have to give away because some moments I won't be a generous person, a good person. But but that's another way that my mind can make sense of it is you know not about the conditions which are out of my control, even if I wanted to have you know, arrange them really nicely, they could all change. So if I can't base my happiness in that, what can I base my happiness in? And the Buddha actually gave a number of answers, and the first, most easiest one is the teaching on karma, on intentional action, that intentional actions have results. So you can't control your conditions, but you can you can pay attention to the quality of your intentions and and what impact that has. So I kind of think about this in terms of you know, there's a chant we sometimes do here that all beings are the owners of their actions, heirs of their actions. The other one is owners of their actions, heirs of their actions, related to their actions, or of their actions. So, like, if we want to talk about things, owning things or getting things, not getting things, that's actually the most relevant way to think about it. Our our actions, and not more than our actions, the intentions behind their actions. That's something that, in terms of happiness, is is more reliable than sensual pleasure. Sensual pleasure, there's a happiness there, there's a pleasure there. But it's not that reliable. I had distinct experiences where my mind is really noticing, this is really pleasant, and I'm really unhappy. You know, I'm happy. And yet, that's just how our minds are set up. It's a lot pleasant. But the happiness of a generous heart, a compassionate heart, that's less dependent on conditions. It's still a condition, but it's a bit more reliable. So I have a little story here. Um, from the time of the Buddha, one of his main disciples, Sariputta, passed away. And the Buddha's cousin and attendant, Ananda, uh, heard about this and was very sad. Let's see, I'll just read from it. He says, Ananda says to the Buddha, The Venerable Sariputta has had his final passing away. These are his bowl and robes. My own body became so now he's describing his own reaction to that, to finding out that news. My own body became weak as a creeper. Everything around became dim. And things were, no, things were no longer clear to me when I heard about the final passing away of the Venerable Sariputta. 
and the Buddha responds, How is this, Ananda? When Sariputta had his final passing away, did he take from you your portion of virtue, or your portion of concentration, or your portion of the knowledge and vision of deliverance? And the Buddha goes on to remind Ananda of, that, of the teaching on impermanence. But that that piece just uh, arose in my mind about, you know, to me, and then actually at the end he makes this point explicit that I want to make. He says at the end of this sutta, which is called uh, the Chunda Sutta, C-U-N-D-A, from the Samyutvindakaya 47. For those of you who like this course is but the Buddha ends by saying, Therefore, Ananda, be ye an island unto yourself, a refuge unto yourself, seeking no external refuge, with the teaching as your island, the teaching your refuge, seeking no other refuge. And I think, you know, we can have different reactions interpreted in different ways, but the way it arose for me recently was just struggling with um, uh, relationship and uh, feeling very exposed and like just sensing how things are out of my control, um, things in my life that are set up in ways that I would like and always change, even in drastic ways, you never know anything can happen at any time. And just, yeah, kind of that truth, feeling more real, feeling exposed. And it really, like, those edges. I mean, this is why the Buddha recommended contemplating death, because any sense we have of building our life on things that are ultimately um, permanent, when we really let in that truth, it gets exposed. So that's when we have the most reliable place. Um, but anyways, that that uh, discourse arose, you know, like where to put, where I can put refuge. It's not that there isn't any refuge. The Buddha is saying, it, you know, this this sad event, and whatever it is in our life that's, uh, is going to happen, you know, difficulties come our way. It's not an option. Where are we looking for refuge? And just, I, I, it just really inspired me um, to reflect in that way. Like, no matter what could happen, disaster could strike. But this refuge, virtue, uh, cultivating a stable mind, peaceful mind, that can see clearly and learn about release and not letting go. Or however we have experienced this path and its fruits that aren't dependent on conditions. These places where we come up against uh, difficulty, and that can be a refuge. And for me, it, it was and, and still is like. Yeah, it's like when you see 
all the other options aren't as reliable. You really see, they're really, this seems to be the only way, really reliable way to cultivate my happiness and the well-being of others. Cultivating the mind, cultivating a beautiful mind and heart. So, you know, that's sort of, for me, inspiring. And then we take whatever inspiration we have, you know. And it doesn't have to be very specific, but just some sense that we have a life, we have habits of mind, we have conditioning, we have society that has certain ideas about how to be happy. And yet there's some interest in the real release of the heart, the open heart that can respond. And is there anything that we can do to move in that direction? And uh, that's and one way to go about that would be to, to think about an ideal, like being a really compassionate and wise person, and then try to imitate that, which probably all of us do to some extent, because ideals are beautiful and, and they can inspire us. Um, but what I find really interesting about this path is that it's not about, you know, ultimately it's not about trying to be anyone or be anything, trying to figure anything out, trying basically, it's not about trying to get something that we then grasp that we have, even some notion of enlightenment or wisdom, even insight. You know, we think, uh, practice hard and long enough, there'll be an insight, and I'll have that, and then I'll be good. And then I can go have fun. <laughs> but it's, it's always letting go. That's the path, as well as the fruit, is letting go. And it's not, you know, it's not letting go of everything. You know, it's not like we all have to give up our lives and go live in a cave. It's letting go of one thing, really, from you. You could say it's letting go of certainty that isn't actually true. It's a way that I think about it a lot these days, is... Uh, I don't actually know how to be happy, because if I did, I would be happy all the time. And uh, whenever there's clinging or grasping or suffering, there's often, maybe not often, maybe always, I should 
Well, let's see. There's some certainty. This shouldn't be happening. That's why there's a constriction. And there's some certainty there. So I'm using the word certainty as a metaphor or placeholder for grasping, the energetic grasping. But that's often how it works. At least I've seen in my mind this. We don't like not knowing. We don't like the exposure of just being, for example, here and not really like me knowing what I'm going to say next, or you knowing what I'm going to say next, or whether we like what I'm saying and don't, or whether it makes sense or not, or whether it's going to fix this hurt in my heart. But one thing that really inspires me about this path and this practice is how real it is and how honest it is. In some ways that, you know, people have different personalities and different ways in. But to me that's the most inspiring and the most touching even. Even more than the beautiful practices of metta and loving kindness and compassion and the joy and equanimity which are essential, but just like the fact that someone could just not bullshit me and just be there with me with whatever's coming up, that it's just nature, it's just, it's just what it is, that I don't have to pretend, it's just what it is, it's all just what it is, just nature unfolding, doing its thing. And that that is a perspective, not just to believe in, but that, that the mind can actually, if it's true, then, then the mind should be able to perceive that way, at least in moments. And so that then the whole thing isn't about getting somewhere, but about understanding. That there's a misunderstanding that's, at this, that's the source of our suffering. And so, being really real, yeah, that, that's inspiring to me, that actually being real leads to liberation, leads to the end of suffering, instead of like pretending leads to happiness, putting on a good face, distraction, have a, an assumption that's leading to suffering, well, then the only problem is that wrong view, that misperception, and the, the only solution is data that uh, challenges that assumption. So, this is actually a lot I've been finding through some of my recent studies, like uh, this book, Satipatthana, the Jerk, Path to Realization, and then uh, 
sequel, Satipatthana, or Perspectives on Satipatthana by Bhikkhu Analyo, a German monk who's done a lot of research on early Buddhism. But the, the guided meditation I did today is based on the guided meditation he does, a little bit longer, 40 minutes, it's on Dharma Seed. Um, but like, that mindfulness is being real. Mindfulness is, is um, mindfulness and wisdom is the mind in those moments where it's not confused by its thoughts about things right now. You know, just our ordinary ways of perceiving them. This is me living my life, wanting this, not wanting that. And so, a lot of a lot of the practices in what I offer, and just generally, the Buddhist teachings, like you know, sometimes you know, just the word mindfulness is used nowadays, or even in the context of the four foundations of mindfulness, like these are just four places to be mindful of the body, feelings, mind, dharmas. You know, like that mindfulness is easy, that mindfulness is simple, and mindfulness is just paying attention. But if we're mindful or if we're paying attention with wrong view, you know, people can pay attention really intensely, you know, to a lot of things, but it's not necessarily leading them to liberation because they're paying attention with a certain view. Like, I'm going to really pay attention. This car came, it's a car sharp, and, <laughs> you know, not necessarily someone who's seen the changing nature of phenomenon, the unsatisfactoriness. They're not paying attention with that view. They're paying attention with the view of, I need to really pay attention so I can be happy, you know, get money or whatever. So, you know, like in what I offered, what Buddha offered, these ways of challenging our assumptions so that we can be mindful, so that we can actually be more real. It's like, you know, reflecting on on that, on impermanence. We realize how much of the time we're under the delusion that we're not going to die, or that we know when we're going to die. So, you know, these sort of challenge us and shake us up, like, oh, maybe I don't actually know what's going on. Maybe I'm, I think I'm being aware, and I think I'm paying attention, living my life, but it's all under this, these filters. So those, you know, the three about the body that start, you know, seeing the body as just these parts, not attractive or unattractive, just the body. You know, that's, you know, the result of evolution. To look this way and look that way. It's not an alien sauce, they wouldn't think you were attractive or unattractive. So, you know, and obviously our minds are conditioned and it's not like, um, you know, that's, we, we have attraction, we are, we are sexual beings, but from the point of view of wisdom, we can see, well, this body's just skin, flesh, and bones. It's really, I put it out in front of me, skin, flesh, and bones. So it's just, it's not about right or wrong or ultimate reality or whatever. It's just challenging, you know, a view in the mind of always seeing the body, you know, our body, the people's bodies, in that way. So.
And then a second about elements. It's just this natural flow. That feels a lot less personal than my body. It's attractive, unattractive. Or even just that it's me. You know, this body is me. But feeling it from the inside, just these four elements. It's not very personal. Fire element, water element, air element, earth element, hardness. So that's challenging the person, taking it personally. And then the permanence reflection. And he, yeah, just this body right here is going to die. Fall apart. It's kind of shocking. Now, this reflection on that, the Buddha actually emphasized, and I've been contemplating, reflecting on it a little bit more recently. Yeah, and I still don't, you know, I think there's still obviously a lot to learn. I mean, Steve Armstrong, some of you may know, um, senior teacher in our tradition, has brain cancer, serious brain cancer, and he did an interview, and you can find it on his Karen Bridge page. Um, and, uh, yeah, even for a teacher, a senior teacher, probably is teaches on mindfulness of death, but like, yeah, it's just very, very powerful to listen to his questions, and, you know, he said something like, until this happened, uh, he didn't realize how many assumptions he had about that, that, you know, how it would be, or, I mean, and it's, it's hard to put the words, he actually starts crying, and like, and it's not, it wasn't even, I don't know, it's just very, uh, I don't think he was crying because he was sad he was going to die, but like, just like how we don't let that in. And like, and, and we don't let it in, meaning we don't understand what this is. Because if we really knew, if we really had that, you know, if the Buddha instructed his monks, you know, to be mindful of that with each in and out breath or to that level, like really knowing, letting that in, then it makes this moment, it makes this moment very different, very real. Because it, it Back to the question, like, what is life? And knowing that it's going to end, and we don't know when, but time is very limited to, you know, whatever this is, and whatever uh, I can learn from this, or you know, whatever my aspirations are. It's this. It's now or never. And just how often we're in our stories. What's our story 
in a hell when we're on our deathbed, no matter how nice the story. This, I mean, the other part of this that sort of has been a little new for me is because there's teachings on rebirth and there's controversy over, you know, like did the Buddha really teach rebirth or was it just uh, part of the milieu of India at the time? But it seems clear that the Buddha taught not clinging to any view, including about rebirth and non rebirth. So that kind of kind of surprised me recently to see in my own mind that I had sort of been, because it makes logical sense to me, you know, rebirth as opposed to just everything ending, you know, that karma carries on, that I'd sort of been clinging to that in some way. But the truth is I actually don't know. And any story I have that I do know, well, why am I telling myself that? Is it to have some certainty? So I, I think in my limited exploration of this contemplation of death, it seems to just, maybe its main point isn't to have any view of, you know, oh, I you know, should think about death because then I should really cherish my life, or because if I behave well, I'll be reborn here, or because it's all bad. Whatever, you know, whatever views we have, because when I'm honest, I don't actually know. And so it's just like a stand-in for the complete mystery, like, at any moment, I don't know. Um, if something so essential, so, like, ordinary about life, the fact that it's going to end, if I don't really like that and have that, then... Everything else is off. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, so for me, it's just a, you know, it's just a poignant pointer to non clinging, non clinging to even needing to know, and like, what, you know. That, you know, it can bring up a lot, you know, just that contemplation of that. But it's here, whatever that brings up, it's here and now. And how are we relating to that? Are we clinging? Or is there, are we okay not knowing? And if we're okay not knowing, that means that there's something here that is a refuge. Maybe thing is in the work, maybe action. Maybe all we have is the continual release of the heart's clinging, that flow. And that's not even something we have. We can't own that, because then we're clinging. But that release. Yeah, it's interesting to give a talk on 
release of peace and non-clinging. So it's more of a, I think Ajahn Sumedho said this, it's a senior monk in the Thai Force tradition, like the Dhamma can't be taught or bestowed or transmitted, even. it can only be intuited. So, it's just an investigation. I mean, it's just, for me, it's so simple. I've really been just enjoying that. Like, there's so many teachings and talks and everything, but it's a practice. I mean, it's something that I'm investigating for myself in this moment. What can I learn? When I'm honest, when I'm sort of, you know, using different investigations to sort of be really honest, like, you know, well, okay, I know there's this moment, and there's awareness, there's things being known, there's reactions, they lead either to suffering or more release, there's views in the mind, but I don't, when I'm really honest, those views don't seem to give me much ground, and, uh, And there's, you know, teachings can give us this path, you know, that they're, they're, this is a path of happiness, believe it or not. <laughs> and those four that I mentioned at the end of the guided meditation, it's one way, you know, if we, if we do want some, some inspiration of like, well, where does happiness come from then? The Buddha said it comes from seclusion. And it's always about letting go, and about what's not there, not about, okay, stage one, you get a glowing orb, stage two, you start shining, <laughs> stage everyone loves you. It's like always about what's abandoned, so seclusion, just the mind secluded from its ordinary habits that are stressful. I mean, this is very psychological, basic. The mind creates stress through clinging in all these different ways that I'm sure we're all very familiar with. And the happiness of seclusion, an ordinary but accessible, real, we can taste it. Happiness of seclusion. The mind can put that down. We learn to put that down. And then the happiness of this passion, where it's a little more grounded in that happiness, that real happiness, so it's less pushed around by its likes and dislikes. It's just more chill. Happiness of cessation of needing to be someone. And then the happiness of letting go. That more ongoing perspective of that flow. There's no problem here anywhere. Maybe just to end with a few more thoughts about kind of the joy of letting go. Enjoy of release, happiness, of not needing to build our lives around anything, but appreciating what is there. Like it's not non-engagement; it's actually full engagement because we're not creating like 
stones in the river to grasping that can block it. It's just whatever's there. You know, there's this quote Shelley used yesterday in the half day retreat from Shabkar in the 18th century. The mind is naturally radiant, intrinsically empty, and ceaselessly responsive. So there's that ceaseless responsivity, like whether the mind is deluded or seen clearly, that doesn't stop life. Life is just nature. Life flows on. So, you know, sometimes I know for myself, I can sort of have it like, oh, well, without clinging, without a drama, what would life be about? But it's like, life is just what it is. I mean, it's beautiful, and it's hard. And, uh, but it doesn't have to be about me. I can still feel everything. But I don't have to suffer. Anyways. I don't know where it comes from, but uh, there's a quote that joy is when the mind perceives that everything's happening on its own. That I'm not running the show. Or even just when when we're out in nature, we're just seeing you know, there's bunnies running around, or the beautiful sky. It's not about anybody. So there's like a coolness there. <laughs> and it's like everything is actually teaching us that Everything is just nature expressing itself. So this is where like full exposure comes into play because any any place that, where there's fear, grasping, you know, this is my hold up spot. Yeah, everything's impermanent, but I'm gonna hold on to this just in case. Or like, you know, everything's not personal, it's just nature, but you know, this part of me can't accept or can't break of the light. So we only get the inside, you know, through that full exposure, you know, gradually, as the mind feels more safe and confident in that. But yeah, yeah, it's everything. So you know, it's a simple practice, simple insight. Letting go, the mind releasing, you know, that that means being exposed, that means being real and those present with whatever's arising because it's just what it is, it's just nature, so I'm willing to see it because I see it, I see nature, that's more data, and then and there's learning. There's patterns, habit patterns in the mind. Keep doing the same thing, it's not working. It's because there isn't enough data. Mind is seeing through its filters. So it's this exposure every moment that we can remember. And, and there's edges. I mean that's that's the practice. I mean, there's edges. And we just practice that. We don't know. We knew 
complete confidence, we are indeed fully awake. So it's those places of, well, let's see. Now this feels overwhelming, this feels really personal, this feels like my ancient history. Maybe it's just what it is. Maybe it's not a personal problem. And by and the only way we see if that's true or not is by experiment. Like, well, well, you don't mean to feel that. It's not, you know, not statistic. It's actually there has to actually be interest. And if there isn't, if it's overwhelming, then it's overwhelming. And we, we see that with wisdom, and we see that's a natural process. And and uh, taking care of a creature that feels unsafe is a natural process. But we uh, but we see that that's a view the mind's taken, and it's just overwhelmed in that moment. But but we hold open that possibility that. That any place that we haven't that we haven't seen, I'm, I'm curious. All the places where I don't go because I, I don't feel safe. Well, is that really what it seems to be? Like, am I doomed forever to be the person who can't see that? Or who is that? Or or can mindfulness and awareness know? Like, do I trust that radical honesty? Like, it's just what it is, and let's see. Let's actually see. Maybe it's just like this sometimes. Maybe things are just really unpleasant at times. That's kind of new thing for me as a possibility. Instead of the certainty that comes and then the mind constricts, this is, shouldn't be happening. So I want to leave time for thoughts. Uh, we'll have them. Now it's been kind of a disparate rambling talk, but yeah, just anything that where you've experienced happiness that isn't about conditions, that feels maybe happiness in the right word, or peace, or mind uh, being at ease because it's seen that things are just what they are as mindfully as other people and it's just there's an understanding and, uh, or you know any questions or maybe happiness is about conditions and you found the perfect condition so <laughs> <laughs> what comes to mind Hi, I'm Ruth. Um, this is my second time here. Um, so I just moved to the neighborhood, and um, I didn't move here because of the sangha, but uh, moving here, just a couple blocks away, I discovered that the sangha is here. And um, so this is very important to me because I used to practice in the tradition of Tignan in Miami for many years. And, um, but I really feel uh, very grateful for the finding the three jewels very close to my house. And I do feel a certain um, grasping onto that, you know, onto the three jewels. 
as like, wow, I am so lucky, this is so awesome, I'm never going to move out of Seward, you know what I mean? But you, you know what I'm saying, so like, the, the, like I just have this, uh, yeah, it's like this emotional reaction to the visuals, which is probably, you know, there's... Yeah, I'd like to hear your thoughts. Yeah, yeah. Well, what are the three jewels? You know, I mean, I think this might come from Tara Brock. Um, it's kind of a reframing of the three jewels, which I really like in terms of practice. Because, you know, even, yeah. Because yeah. I, I, I feel like it's it makes... Um, it actually feels more like a refuge to think of them in this way. So the refuge of the Buddha. The Buddha maybe awoke. I think someone said the Buddha did his work, now you do yours. So, you know, in terms of a refuge, the Buddha doesn't say, but the Buddha, you know, so this other way is the Buddha, we're taking refuge in awareness as opposed to anything else. So just, like that we're valuing awareness, and then the Dhamma, the way it is, Buddha um, knows, yeah, so the Dhamma, what awareness knows, you know, instead of how we think things should be, or ideals, or thoughts about things, it's actually taking refuge in the way it is, which is like, that's exposure, and that's, that's the practice. And then Sangha is what happens when the Buddha this awareness, honest, intimate, knows the way it is, just intimate with that, real with that, letting it in. And Sangha is that beautiful response, which I didn't think too much today, but certainly in my experience, that that flow, like in that quote I gave, that ceaseless responsivity, when, when there's just awareness knowing the way it is, and no, nothing in the way. There's just naturally the beautiful qualities. There's just we just do what needs to be done, respond in a skillful way. We're we're there. We're intimate. We're connected. Just to be real with someone, just to be real with ourselves. That's summers. That's connection. That's community. So in that way, those you know that's that's what we can really take refuge in. You know, common ground could burn down tomorrow. Or there could you know, be conflict in the community. And uh, you know, everything's uncertain. And certainly, I have the deep gratitude. Yeah. And, yeah. And, 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 but it's like, I'm so grateful for this place because it's connected me with the practice. And there's people here. That remind me of practice. So gratitude is a beautiful emotion. There's nothing wrong with gratitude. And you know that we yeah. Basically what I would just be on the lookout for any constriction. Because we don't have to be afraid of beauty beauty. You know, we can really let it in. That's a whole practice in and of itself. Not clinging with the pleasant with the beautiful is actually letting it in. That's hard to just imagine. <laughs> it is amazing that this place exists. Totally <laughs> amazing. Seriously, <laughs> this is the most amazing thing yeah. I've seen. <laughs> so now I'm thinking is letting that in and fully appreciating why it's here. 
because it may not work. And then we take and pull advantage of it, and that's how I feel. I don't know how long these, in my case, I mean, I work here, so it's like I feel like I have super ideal conditions, and so I, yeah, I want to make the best of it because I don't know how long they'll last. So that's, that's good. Yeah, good. <laughs> Welcome. Yeah. Uh, first, thank you for teaching as always. Absolutely. Um, I'm wondering if you can say a word about using the teachings, reading the refuges, as ways to escape and bypass the challenges and realities of our lives versus ways to navigate through the muck, the mire. And the reason this comes up is because, you know, sometimes it's teaching, um, like I've seen in the past myself, like folks, so you now like I can want to pretend as though being, you know, being the Dharma, like reality doesn't happen, like the, the vicissitudes of life don't take, take hold. And I'm pretty sure that, uh, very same sutta, uh, uh who says, uh, with the passing of, uh, Nero Sariputta, is as though the sun and the moon themselves have been extinguished, even so the Tatha tarries on. And so like he himself felt like the sadness and the, the whatever there is with the transitioning. But at the same time, uh again, not using the teachings to escape to get rid of uh, run away from realities, but to, to use them as 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 they're intended, a wrap to get through the vicissitudes and the challenges. Yeah. Yeah, the way I've been thinking about it is like, it's only in the hard places that I actually test whether I actually take refuge in the clinging or whether I take refuge in safety in some, you know, idea of myself, you know, as a good person, for example, or, you know, ice cream. I don't actually need ice cream. You said that because you know. I said, you know, he does that. Or, you know, like, you know, when things get hard, you know, is my refuge running away? Um, you know, distraction or, or view, you know, well, you know, things are hard, but I'm a good person, you know, or like, whatever. However we insulate ourselves. So, yeah, like, that, yeah, that, I really feel like, for me, that's, that, those are the edges, that's where I actually test. Because that everywhere else it's you know, relatively easy, other than our edges. Like, okay, yeah, I can not claim when things are alright, but when things are hard, when things are really messy, when people, when things are rising in me, you know, when there's nothing, difficult emotions, conflict, and like, it's the easiest thing in the world. Like, it's, the hook is already in my mouth to like, get defensive, to like, assume this is about me. That's where the stakes are really high in a way, and like, and where there's actual like freedom, not from feeling what I feel, but I can only, I feel like, I can only feel the most intense things that I feel or face the most intense realities that are out there with wisdom, with the wisdom that, that this is I mean, with the wisdom, yeah, with, 
with the tools of wisdom and compassion. Um, otherwise, it's too much. But I'm not sure if I'm quite answering your question. I think it's certainly a danger. And teachings like these are, can be triggering or just, you know, confusing because, uh, but, you know, because they can be used to bypass. So, don't do that. <laughs> and you know we can only know for ourselves and, and we can point it out for, for each other you know like how are you really feeling and with what you're feeling how are you is it just nature you know, is this huge emotions huge anxiety or huge anger is it nature or So just taking a moment and go to words, appreciating being in community. Feeling just what we feel. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.